into one of the most challenging and simply, as you read through this book, and I challenged you last week to read through this book, you're going to be going through one of the most transparent books that we find in all of the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them right now. Go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. Some of you may uh, be thinking, what did you just call me? Okay, it, this is a book that maybe you've not seen before. We have a lot of folks that uh, maybe you haven't heard this of this book or read this book. It's in the Old Testament. Go ahead. Don't be ashamed if you need to look in the table of contents to find it. You'll have a little bit of time to find it and get there. But we want to read God's word this morning. Ecclesiastes is this. This is a, is a book that really makes you question a lot of things in your life. As I read through this book, I ask all kinds of questions about my life. Questions like, what am I really investing my life in? Are the things that I am pouring my time and my energy, my money into, are these things, are these things really important in my life? Are these things bringing me fulfillment? What, what am I pursuing in my life? Where do I find meaning and where do I find fulfillment? Really, this book is about asking the most basic questions that we can ask. Really, what is the meaning of life? What, what are we here for? What, what is this all about? What are we going through? All of these things that we go through for. Is there purpose in all of this? And you'll find that although this book was written nearly 3,000 years ago, you'll find this, that the relevancy of this book is astonishing. Because you're going to find that the Solomon, who is the author of this, and we'll talk about him in a few moments, you're going to find him bringing up things that, man, you would think, I could have written that. I could have penned this. I've thought that question before. or I've felt this way before. And before we go too much further, though, what I want to do is I want to just still our hearts before the Lord right now. And I want us just to go to him in prayer and just ask God to speak to our hearts. Will you join me in prayer right now? Let's pray to him right now. Let's pray. Father, we pause before you this morning. Lord, we just invite you to meet us in this moment, Lord. We invite you to speak deeply into our lives, Lord. We don't want to just go through the motions of church today. Lord, we need to hear from you. We want to meet with you, Lord. And I know that even this morning, Lord, there are people from all different kinds who bring all kinds of experiences and they are at different places on their journey. Lord, there are some who are here this morning and Lord, they feel so connected to you. Their relationship with you is thriving. They can't even imagine what their life would be like without you. They're doing really well in their relationship with you right now. And I pray, Lord, that those that are in that place would give you praise and thanks this morning, God. And Lord, there may be others who are here this morning, and, and it's possible that they're only here because they have a habit of, of coming to church on a weekly basis. But in their relationship with you, Lord, they feel distant. And Lord, they feel uh, maybe even disconnected from people who are around them. They're surrounded by people every day. They're surrounded by people here this morning. But, Lord, in some ways they feel distant from you. And, Lord, they may even be feeling sense, a sense of loneliness. Lord, there are some here probably this morning that may be even wondering if you really exist. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are the kind of God, that you are our God who meets us at our point of need, no matter where we are on our journey. Lord, you meet us where we are. You take us and you receive us no matter what condition our hearts are in. And so, Lord, right now, this morning, I ask you to do what only you can do and to speak to us each individually in the most personal and intimate kind of way. God, may your words to us this morning, from your word, may they challenge us and may they be life to us. Till the soil of our hearts, may we find that life through you is meaningful. I just pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, as we start in this book this morning, I don't want to make any assumptions about what you may or may not know about Solomon or about the book of Ecclesiastes. I wanted to start at, the, at this beginning point with Solomon because it's really important that we understand what's going on in his life. 
It's important that we understand who he is and 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 this man who has penned these in incredible words and these has asked these transparent questions. It's so important that we understand what's happening in his life and what has brought him to this point of writing this book. It's essential for understanding this book, because if you don't know these things and you read this book, you're going to find this book really could be even a faith shaking kind of book. You need to understand where he is coming from, what has brought him to this point in his life. And I want you to know that this book, Ecclesiastes, is, is a pretty controversial book. It's a book that, that uh, some have really struggled with. Some uh, have had questions of whether or not it should even be in the Bible or canonized. Some have struggled with this book greatly and, and have really had a problem with Solomon. When you read the, the other books of the Old Testament, what you'll find is you'll get this profound sense that everyone who is in the Bible had this unshakable faith. That, that their faith was rock solid, that they never struggled, that all, they had it all together. You read about guys like Moses and, and the miracles that God performed through this man. And you read about people like Daniel or, or even David and all of these things that these guys did. They're legendary whenever you read about these guys. Even people who are not, who are not Christ followers or Christians, they, they've heard of these men and know what they've done and, and they've heard about these guys and it's almost like these guys are surreal that they're nothing like us sometimes uh, we feel like we can't relate to them because they almost seem larger than life and we're thinking man i'm nothing like that i'm not anything like these people and they would face these obstacles in their lives and it's like they would overcome these obstacles that we could never imagine ourselves doing something like that. So we kind of just write them off as Sunday school characters and uh, we'll never be like that. We can never be like them. Although, if you read very close, you'll find that the Bible records even their struggles. You'll find that they all made mistakes. You'll find that they all were people who had sinned and, and who, had, who had made terrible decisions. And, and you'll find those kinds of things. But, but if, you, if you don't dig deep in their lives, you just kind of put them up on this pedestal like they were perfect and unattainable for us. But when you look at Solomon... And you look at this guy and you read this book, you'll find that the author of this book, he is different. This book is vastly different from the other books that are in the Bible. It is so different from the other books that are, that are in the Old Testament. Solomon is writing to a privileged reader. He's writing to a privileged reader. Those who were highly educated, this is who he's speaking to. Those who, who would have access to the greatest scholarship in the world. Solomon is writing to these folks. Those who would understand philosophy and those who would understand the, the thinking of the times and what people are thinking. And, and Solomon was writing those who, who, to those who, who were even probably uh, in, in this culture in which he was writing, those that were wealthy. Those who, who understood what it meant to have more than what you need just to get by with on a daily basis. So as I read this book and I think about our culture and I think about us and, and where we're at in our society, I think this book hits home for so many of us. Because for a lot, of, a lot of times I realize this, that we don't think that we're rich and we don't think that we have much and, and we think that, you know, and, and, and we could be struggling in certain ways. I get that, okay? But in comparison to the rest of the world, we are privileged. If you understand that and you understand this about ourselves, uh, whenever we look at our Western culture, we have access to more education and, and we are privileged with all of the information that is made readily available to us. We're always talking about this, how, how anytime now in our family, if, if we have an argument about something, we settle it with Google. All right, we're Googling that. That's what we're doing. Used to, you'd have to go and, and look it up. And we're like, I got my phone. I'm looking it up. I'm proving you wrong right now, okay? And that's kind of, we have all of this access to information. And, and this, is, this is one of the things that I think really we can relate to in this book. Solomon was writing to the listener that would be like you. One who has things. One that has more than just his or her daily bread. One that in his mindset would be a, considered a privileged kind of, of listener. 
And so as you look at his life and you look at the things that he's written about and the transparency in his life, it will seem at certain times as we read through this book that this guy's life and his faith is so shallow that you could skip a rock on his, I mean, or that you couldn't even skip a rock on his faith. It's not deep enough. You look at this and you think, man, this guy is so superficial. But really, what I think about him and what I think as I read this book is that there is a raw honesty, a brutal honesty with Solomon. He was willing to be honest enough to, to actually verbalize the questions that all of us have thought before, the questions that many of us are even struggling with today. He was willing to verbalize these and to ask these questions and, and to just be, as I said, brutally honest about the observations that he's making about life. And we'll talk about this under the sun. So for me, and I don't know about you, but for me, when I read about Solomon and I read Ecclesiastes, there's this attractive authenticity that is there for me. As I read this, I'm attracted to his transparency. I'm attracted to this because he's, he's shooting straight with me. He's kind of telling it like it is. And, and, and I think that, you know, there's not any false pretenses. He's not trying to, to build us up in this way. And he's just saying this is the way that life is apart from God. This is the way that life is without this relationship with God. There's no mask that he's wearing. He's not pretending. He's honestly admitting this is where I am at right now in my journey. Man, I'm, I'm attracted to that when I read that. I, I, uh, I respect that. I appreciate that so much whenever I read this. I, I don't want to play games in my faith anymore. I, I've told you guys before, there were times in my life where I played games with my faith. And I, I know how to pretend with the best. And I know how to wear the mask. We're all pretty good at doing those kinds of things. But, but with, with Solomon, what he's saying is, man, I, I want to just deal with life as it really is. You know, I want to stop pretending and let's just call it out. This is what I observe. This is what I see. So who was Solomon? And I know that Kyle, our student pastor, he did an amazing job in our series over the Kings this past summer talking about Solomon. For those of you who who maybe didn't get to hear it, go back on our website and listen uh, listen to Kyle's message on Solomon. For some of you, you may already know some of these things about Solomon, uh, but I'm not assuming anything this morning. I really want you to understand this guy's mentality and where he was coming from. Who was Solomon? Well, Solomon was the son of a king, and obviously he becomes a king, but he was the son of a king. Now, who was his dad? His dad was David. His mother was Bathsheba. If you know anything about this story, this is the woman that David had an affair with. Later, after murdering uh, her husband, goes on to marry this woman and has Solomon with this woman, okay? And so, uh, excluding, and so there you get a raw picture of David uh, right there, and David did mess up. But, But you have to understand this about Solomon. Solomon was the son of the most celebrated king in all of Israel. Whenever you think of a king in Israel, even today, David is the one that comes to mind. He was the most celebrated of all in Israel and and still is even to this day. And, And I want you to just think about this. Solomon growing up under David's leadership and and under his father in this sense. He was living in this incredible shadow that was cast by David, this great, great man. Can you imagine trying to live up to that, trying to grow up in the midst of this this shadow? I mean, your dad was the giant killer. Your dad was legendary. I kind of was thinking this week, I imagine Solomon when he was on the playground with the rest of the kids, you know, and and kids will have the whose dad is toughest talk. You know, everybody does that. My dad could whoop your dad. And I'm thinking Solomon just kind of listened to him and probably said, boys, I got one word for you, Goliath, you know, and probably just broke it down on him right there. And, and, but if you look at David and you study his life, you'll see that David was a renaissance man in every sort of the word right here. David was a great musician. 
He wrote music. He wrote psalms. David was a political power to be reckoned with. He was a military strategist that nobody could overcome. He was a fearless, mighty warrior. The women were crazy about David. If you'll read, you'll see he comes into town. The women start going crazy. And they're saying things like, Saul's killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. It's like the Beatles. When the women would see the Beatles, they'd go nuts, okay? And this is what is happening with David. And, and, and I just imagine all this happening in front of Solomon. God, and, and, and see, David not only had favor with men and with women, he not only had favor with people, he has this favor with God. God describes him as a man after his own heart. I mean, David was the total package, right? And so it was like he's this warrior poet or something. It's, it's like Solomon is growing up in the shadow, literally, of this rock star, so to speak. And now everything has been passed off to him. And, you're, and David, your dad, has, has passed away and you're just a young man and the whole weight of the kingdom is on your shoulders. You're the new king. You're not known as Solomon. You're known as David's boy. This is kind of the, the weight that Solomon has upon himself. And, and, and just in his humanity, I imagine trying to deal with that and reconcile that. And, and, and it could play into why he did some of the things that he did and some of the pursuits that he went after with such vigor. And, and you know, everyone's looking at you like everything that you have is because of your father. You didn't earn any of this. Your father is the one that paid the dues for all this. Your father is the one that started this dynasty. Your father is the one that whooped everyone that he, that he got into battles with. He fought the battles. He conquered the nations. Solomon, this is why you are where you are today. And so I imagine Solomon is dealing with some of this. This has all been handed over to this young kid. Because this is essentially what he is at the time that the kingdom was handed over to him. He was a young man, very young man. Uh, some say at the age of 12, somewhere in those teenage years. Can you imagine all of this being placed upon your shoulders? You're known as David's son. The expectations were enormous. Now just to give you some context more about Solomon and kind of, kind of what we can learn a little bit about his character in the beginning in 1 Kings. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. 1 Kings chapter 3, um, just, I want to give you just quickly some context about something that happened in his life that was a key in, at the beginning of his life, the beginning of his leadership. The Word of God says this, and I'm not going to read all of this. I'm just going to just touch on it real quick so you kind of get this. It says at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said this, man, this is awesome. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. How many of you would like to make that your life verse? Okay, that would be awesome, right? Okay, ask me for whatever you want me to begin you. And, and you know what Solomon does? If you'll keep reading, he starts talking about David. He starts talking about you've been kind to David by allowing me to continue in this. You've been, you know, doing all of these things. And Solomon begins to reply to the Lord about his kindness and then, uh, and then if we go to verse 9, and, and uh, yeah, if we're there at verse 9, here's what he says. He says this. This is his reply to God who's just asked him, what do you want? I will give it to you. He says, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Who can bear this weight? How many people are coming to me and they're asking me for advice and wisdom and guidance and I can't take this on my own. I can't do this, God. So ultimately what he does is he asks God for wisdom. God, give me wisdom. That's all I want. That's all I need, God, is your wisdom, your wisdom and how to carry this legacy of my dad's on. And if you'll keep reading, you'll see that God is so incredibly pleased with Solomon's reply that he says this. He says, not only am I going to make you the wisest man in the world, but I am going to bless you in every possible way. I'm going to bless you with wealth. I'm going to bless you with fame. I'm going to bless you with wisdom and power. You're going to be this great, incredible king. You think David was great. I'm going to make you great. I'm the kingmaker. So you see, um, this is this stroke of genius that, that Solomon has. Solomon wasn't the wisest man in the world at this point, but you can see 
he hit the sweet spot, right? I mean, this was it. I mean, think about having this conversation with God. And God says, tell me anything you want and I will give this to you. How many of us, especially as, I mean, most of us are, are grown and are adults, but think about this young man. This is being asked him. How many of us would not be overcome with this great sense of self-indulgence? You know, I mean, this is incredible that God has come to me. And it's almost like the proverbial three wishes from the genie. And then you get to, at, on your third wish, ask for three more wishes. You know, this is almost what this is like. And I was kind of thinking about this this week. What would that be like for me? What would it be like for you if God came and he said, ask me for anything you want? What, what would, and you've got one shot, what would it be? Some would be like, man, I want power. I want to be the, the man in control. I want to be the one who's in charge. And the people who are in control and in charge are saying, man, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Trust me. Some of, of you, you might say, you know, I, I would just love to have more wealth and I would know what to do with. I'd love to be rich. Some would say, no, I want to be famous. I want everyone to know my name. I want people to remember me. I want to be a superstar. Others of you, maybe, maybe the, the more geeky ones, you'd be like, I, I want to I be really, really smart. I, I want my IQ to be larger than my waist size. I want to be so smart. You know, others would say, man, I just I, I, I hate the way that I look. I want to be attractive. I look in the mirror and I throw up. I, you know what I've got going on is not working. I need a plan B. Some of you, you'd be very practical. You'd say, I just want my own lane on the highway. Every highway I go on, I want my own lane. I go on 820, boom, it just parts. This is my lane. Life would be sweet, would it not? So that's what some of us are thinking. That's what I want. You know, I was thinking for me, I wish I wasn't so hairy. That's one of the things that I thought is, God, can we just stop the insanity of the hair growing everywhere, okay? And the irony of none of it being here, but I, sometimes I feel like I've snorted a cat, okay? And I'm like, are you serious? And the stuff that's coming out my ears, is this really necessary, God? Is it, is it helpful? You know, can we stop the insanity? Some of you may be like that, you know? I, I'm sick of my unibrow. I don't want to look like Bert from Sesame Street. I don't know what it is, okay? I digress. This isn't about me. Solomon... <laughs> Solomon is like, God, would you just give me wisdom? That's what I want. I just want to know how to make good decisions. And it seems that God, again, was so greatly pleased with Solomon's heart and, and so pleased with the purity of his motivation. And I don't know if there's still this childlike innocence that is still there. God says, Solomon, I'm so impressed you didn't ask me for the things that other people would ask for, revenge over enemies, money, power, fame, Three more wishes, less ear hair. You didn't ask for anything like that. You asked for wisdom, and, and I'm giving it all to you. I'm giving it all to you. Now, some of us are going to go home and, God, I'm just praying for a little wisdom. Just a little wisdom. He knows your heart, okay? He knows your heart. I mean, I think about this. Solomon, he's like the most, he's like the most interesting man in the world, okay, at this point. If you've seen that commercial... I did not always have wisdom, but when I did, it was from God. Keep seeking, my friends. You know, something like that, okay? He, he's like the most interesting man in the world when you look at this guy. So, so when this story about Solomon and his kingship starts, and I wish I had time to tell you about some of the things that he did that had, they were so wise, and people all around him were like, this guy is so wise. They were in awe of his wisdom and his leadership and his decision-making. You would think, man, I really hope that this guy's life, you'd think every chapter ends up with hope and joy and success and happiness. And it's this nice, neat little package in God's word. And they all live happily ever after. You would conclude that the story of Solomon has to be the most romantic, you know, story that could ever be written. And it turns out that this guy wasn't perfect after all. We're like, man, tell me that this guy didn't mess up. Please tell me he did not mess up. Well, I'm here to tell you that this is a guy who had it all. All from the hand of God. And even with his ability to cut through all the falsehood and pretension and lies that so often drive us and, and not being real and being pretend, 
Solomon's life, if you look at his life, it ends up very, very tragic. His life does not end up in the way that it started on this trajectory with God. Somewhere along the line, Solomon compromised in certain ways. And I'm going to tell you this, it wrecked his life. Wrecked his life. Little compromises. He started following other gods, little G-O-D-S. He started compromising in certain ways. And, and you know, he is described, this is amazing, he's described as a man with a thousand wives and a thousand horses. He actually had 700, thank you, brother. He actually had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I was thinking about this this week. Can you imagine how often Solomon said, we never just seem to talk anymore, okay? He heard that all the time, or we never seem to cuddle anymore. He heard this all the time. I was thinking, what were the holidays like for this guy? Trying to figure out whose house we're going to. All the mother-in-laws that he's dealing with. I mean, just think about this. Solomon is one who pursued every indulgence. If you look at his life, he pursued every pleasure, every opportunity. Solomon was extreme before extreme was cool. He wrote the book on adrenaline rush. Literally. I mean, he tried literally everything. We look at his life, and, it, and here's what I want you to catch this morning. I don't have bullet, bullet points for you, one, two, three. I'm just trusting God's going to speak something to you, and you're going to take that nugget away this week and say, that's for me. Here's the thing. When we look at his life, his problem was not that he lacked wisdom or clarity. We know he had it. God gave it to him. It was a gift from God. Tragically, what we find about Solomon is so many, uh, so often, so true with each one of us who's here this morning. We relate to this guy so much, excluding the thousand wife deal, although some of you are working hard on getting there, okay? And uh, we, just kidding, uh, we, we relate to this guy in so many ways. We know the right things to do. We have the wisdom that God has given us, but, but we find ways to compromise. We find ways to, to cave in. It's not that we lack wisdom or Solomon lacked wisdom. What he lacked was the courage to follow through, to do what was right and the wisdom that, and to follow through with the wisdom that God had given him. What we find from Solomon's life, ironically, is this, is that wisdom wasn't enough. Wisdom was not enough. We, we see that it depends on what you decide to do with the wisdom that God has given you. If you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you. And He enlightens your path. And, and He is our counselor. And He is our teacher. But He's not going to make you do certain things. There's a choice that you have to follow or not to follow the things that He quickens your spirit about. It's not that we lack this, this, these opportunities for wisdom. And although we may be uncertain about things that are happening in our life at certain points in our life, but often where we find ourselves is we find ourselves with a lack of courage and conviction to follow through with what we're being led to do by God. So Solomon, with this, with this kind of wisdom, what he does is he writes this book of Ecclesiastes. When he was a young man, a very young man, he writes the book called Song of Songs. This is when he was very young when he wrote this book. We've gone through this book. We went through it a few, few years back. It's, it's a romantic story of love between Solomon and the wife of his youth, which he's going to bring up in this book again. Remember, he has 700 wives now. But he's going to bring up the wife of his youth again. He's going to bring this up. And we read this book. And, and this book, and unapologetically, it's a book that deals with sexuality. And it deals with, with, with sexuality between a husband and a wife and the beauty of that. It deals with God. It deals with love and all of that being mixed in. And there's this optimism that you read when you read the book Song of Songs. He's a very young man at this point. It's thought that, uh, that in the middle of his life is when he wrote a majority of the Proverbs. He's one who has written over 3,000 Proverbs. And these Proverbs were observations that he made and the wisdom that God had given him. Unfortunately, he failed in a lot of the things that he wrote about. I mean, I'm just, just saying, if you'll read, you'll see. It's widely held, though, that Solomon, who is nearing the end of his life, 
And he's at this place of desperation in his life, and he's gotten off track in his relationship with God. He writes this book of Ecclesiastes. Or it could be that he's coming back to God or has come, come back to, to Yahweh and, and, he's, and, and has realized, and he's realized the futility of everything else that he's been chasing after. And, and what we find is now it's like he's drowning in his own genius. So here's the deal. We're going to go through Ecclesiastes. We won't hit every single verse, but we're going to hit the high points. We're going to look at the major themes over the coming weeks. And you're going to see that these themes are so relevant to what you're dealing with in everyday life today. I mean, you're going to be like, man, I could have written that. Or I wish I would have read that before I just went off and did this. Because it would have saved me a whole lot of trouble. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, here's how he starts this book. Here's what he says. I'm reading from the NIV this morning. He says, the words of the teacher. So he calls himself the teacher. He also calls himself, it also translates preacher, okay, in some ways. So he's making this address to his privileged listeners. And he says this, notice how he describes himself, son of David. I'm living up to this guy. I'm trying to live up to him. Son of David. He's an older man now. And he's still bringing this up. King in Jerusalem. Now, what does he say in verse 2? Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Read the last part of this with me. What does he say? Everything is what? Say it with me. It's all what? It's meaningless. Are you catching a theme that he's starting off with here? I mean, there's this theme that, that Solomon is starting with. And some of your translations, if you have different translations here this morning, they will say words like vanity. It's all vanity. Vanity of vanities. What's the point is what Solomon is saying. Um, it's like all there is is this pride and this sin and there's folly and there's rebellion. He's saying, what is the point? What is the point of this life that we live? Some of your translations will say, say it like this in a more contemporary way. It's frustrating. Life is frustrating. I don't know about you, but I relate to that. Are you with me this morning? Am I talking to the right group of folks? Life can be so frustrating. I mean, it's so challenging. I, I, sometimes I don't get it the way that things are. I don't understand it, God. And what he's saying is that life can be lived apart from meaning. It can. You have a choice. It can be lived apart from meaning. He starts off talking about all of this emptiness that he's had in his life. This emptiness and what's led him to this point of desperation. He goes on to explain why life is meaningless to him. He kind of gives this overview in chapter 1. And then in the coming chapters, he's going to break it down even further. He says in verse 3, he says, What do people gain? What do they gain from all their labors at which they toil? And I want everyone to catch this phrase. What does he say? Under the sun. We're going to come back to that, okay, in just a minute. Under the sun. What do, what do we gain? He's saying, what's the point? We go through all this trouble of working hard and going through the motions every single day of what we've got to do to put food on the table and make a living for our families. We, we go to school, you know, to get our education, and, and, and then we get this job, and then we lose jobs, and we get new jobs, and all of this is happening, this big cycle of things. We mow our lawn. We pay our bills. We have lives that are filled with activity and are busy and hurry. And, and he's saying, man, what is the point? What is the point of all of this? What does it gain us? I mean, it almost seems pretty fatalistic in cer certain ways. He says, basically, we're still all going to die. <laughs> That's pretty hardcore, man. When you read that, it's like, oh, my word, what's the profit? What's what's left over? But he uses this phrase and please, please hear me say this. He uses this phrase under the sun. And if you don't get this and you miss this, I'm going to tell you this book can rock your world. If you don't get what he's saying right here under the sun, it's used twenty nine times. 29 times in this book, this short book, he uses under the sun. Basically, when he talks about under the sun, what he's talking about is just this, 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 this life being lived here upon the earth. 
There's this very temporal mindset, not this mindset of the eternal or anything, but this life that is lived here under the sun, on the earth, no revelation or no involvement from God whatsoever. No God revealing or God breaking in. No God speaking. Just a life. You're looking at life as it is just here on the earth, in essence, apart from God. If you looked at it and you just would say, man, why do I work so hard? And then all I'm going to do is just die anyway. What is all this about? What's the point? There's no profit. There's no gain. So he starts coming to some conclusions. He says in verse 4, generations, what do they do? Generations come and generations go. But the earth, man, it's going to remain forever. And you know, all we really are is dust in the wind. You know, he goes on and he writes that great Kansas song. It's kind of what... um, (laughs) For you Kansas fans. Um, Every generation rises up, is what he's saying, and every generation falls. Every generation starts off saying, we're going to be the ones that are going to fix the broken world. We're optimistic. You just, just go, to, uh, go to a graduation and you hear the optimism and, and we, we wouldn't want it any other way, right? Because they, 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 we all have seen great things that have happened because someone has had that kind of optimistic spirit. And, 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 and then, but, but honestly, those of us who have been out in the world, we're, we're sitting there and in the back of our minds, don't lie, you know you're thinking, man, I'm glad you're optimistic, but life is hard. And, and you're graduating into, into this hard, tough world that we live in. You know? So he's looking at these, he's saying every, every generation comes along and they think they're going to be the ones to fix things and to fix this broken world. We're going to come up with some new ideas that this will finally fix this cursed world that we live in. And now everyone's going to get along and there won't be any more war. There won't be people who are starving. We'll fix everything. We're finally here. The generation that was before us, they weren't smart enough, but we are. You know what? Here's what happens is we, we still live this existence. If you're lucky, somewhere between 70 and 100 years, so to speak, on this, on this, on this temporal earth, and we're going we're, we're to die. And the trees will still be here. I, I was up in uh, the, the northwest, and you know the trees up there are enormous, and Hope and I were hiking, and we took some pictures. I've never seen trees so big in my life. And, and, and these trees that where we were hiking, they were saying these trees were about 1,000 years old. And I was going, I can't, I can't even fathom this, man. These trees have had a number of fat, bald guys coming by, taking pictures with them, you know. And they're like, yeah, you're just one more, you know. And, and so, I mean, think about this. The trees are still going to be here. The rivers will still be here. The, the water's still there. The mountains will still be here. And, and, and we came from the dust of the earth. It's almost like Solomon is going back to the creation account. He starts paralleling this and bringing up this creation account. And, and he's talking about this. And, and the plight of every generation is that we're all still going to die. It's going to happen. Unless Christ returns first. I mean, it's happened to every other person that's come before us. Who are we to think that we're any different? But we get this mindset that we're invincible, that we're invulnerable. Literally what what Solomon is saying, you know, every single generation thinks they're so significant and so important. But he's saying the earth is like this big treadmill. Generations come out of the womb. They jump on the treadmill. They run like crazy. And and they eventually they all are going to die off. And then the next generation gets on and said they just didn't run hard enough. We'll run harder. And Solomon says, man, give it a good run. But I've done this before and I promise you it's no vacation. You're not going to get anywhere. There's no progress under the sun. There's no progress under the sun. He just completely undercuts any myth of progress, any myth of of this evolution of of human inquiry moving us forward. I remember whenever we started Eagles View about 11 years ago, and I remember it was right before, uh, you know, it was certainly it was before 9-11, and it was before the new millennium was going to kick in. And I remember there was a little bit of fear, well, a lot of fear and panic about the new millennium. But I also remember talking to people saying, man, I'm not afraid. I I think this is great. It's like 
we're rolling over on the odometer here. We get a fresh start. It's a brand new millennium. We're smarter now than we've ever been. We have more, you know, things that, that technology has provided us. Man, everything's going to be great in this new millennium. And then 9-11 hit. It's like, man, people are, are feeling a sense of, of hopelessness. Things are just peachy, right? Everyone has everything that, that uh, they want in their life and everything's perfect in their life. And he's saying generations, they come and they go. The seas keep moving. Everything in creation just keeps on trucking along. But we, we don't make any progress. You know what happens then? It's silly because we, we start actually living in denial of the fact that we're not nearly as important as we think we are. And so we, Solomon's going to say we should take our cue from creation, from the earth, from the wind, from the fire. And I'm not talking about the 70s disco band here, okay? I'm talking about this in verse 5 where he says he's going to bring up creation. He says the sun, look at it. He says the sun rises and the sun sets. It hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. In other words, the seasons come and they go round and round. It goes ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place that the streams come from, there they return again. What he's saying is that life is not this forward linear progression that we sometimes think that it is. Life is really a circle, right? It's like this cycle. You say, no, man, we're moving. We're moving forward. We're, we're really moving. No, we're driving around in a cul-de-sac is what we're doing. That's, that's what Solomon is saying. Don't mistake your busyness for progress is what he's saying. We, we rotate around the sun. In the morning, it, the sun goes up. And in the evening, the sun goes down. You know, big surprise there. In addition, all the water runs through its cycles and its courses. Big surprise there, right? The wind, it runs its courses in the circuit of the earth there. Big surprise. What, what he's saying here, guys, he's ultimately he's saying, you know, life is really, it's a, it's a rut. It's one big rut. My life is a rut. Next week, you'll probably sit in the same place that you sat this morning. Why? Because we're creatures of habit. We get in our rut. We, this is what we're like. And, and, and in some cases, we're kind of boring, right? Because we, we like things this certain way. And Solomon, I think in some ways, he's just very, very bored with life under the sun. Life under the sun. He's saying it's frustrating. It's complicated. In fact, life under the sun, because sin entered into the world with Adam, life under the sun is cursed. It's cursed. It's affected by sin. And so we try to find things in our routine, you know, that won't drive us insane. And he talks about it in verse 8. He says, all things are, are wearisome. More than one can say. Now check this out. See if you've not live this right here the eye it never has enough of seeing in other words we're never satisfied the ear it it never has its fill of hearing and then he says i can't get no satisfaction that's what he says he was one of the first rolling stones ever okay they're about as old as he is okay but here's the deal have you noticed that life is this crazy, maddening circle and nothing's ever perfect, nothing's ever done? It's a routine, it's a rut. How many of you have noticed this when you wash the dishes? Right, I wash the dishes a lot in our house. It's kind of one of, one of my chores that I take on. And I'm glad to take that on. And, and I, I uh, in some ways, become the dish Nazi. And, uh, and so I wash the dishes. I walk out of the room. I have this sense of accomplishment. The kitchen is clean. I come back into the room. And what's in the sink? More dishes. Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about when it comes, maybe you're cleaning the house and you're nudging your husband right now and you've worked so hard and, and you picked everything up and it looks great and you have this sense of accomplishment. And then what happens? It gets messed up in a matter of no time. And you're like, are you serious? I got to do this all over again. How about this? You pay all the bills. All right. And you're like, all right, I got all the bills paid. I may be broke, but all the bills are paid. You know, I'm done. Next day, what's in your mailbox or in your inbox? More bills. They keep coming. 
It's this cycle that's going on. And, and people will say, no, we're not in a rut, man. We, we, we have all different causes and movements and isms and, that we live by. We have all these wonderful things that we're going to do. We're a new people. We're putting all of our hope in this new political candidate. You know, hopey, changey. It's going to change everything. We kind of get this mindset that someone's going to be able to fix all of this. And Solomon says, no, you're never going to get out of this cyclical, boring rut. Of life under the sun. For you SNL fans, it's like this. It's like if you've seen Debbie Downer and you read this passage, it's like at the end of it, it's like you should just go, wah, wah, wah. Or whenever I was reading it this week, uh, I was thinking of the price is right. When someone loses on the price is right, and it's like, bump, 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 It's like all the, the wind out of the sail when you read this passage. It's like, man, I'm so glad I read this. I'm so encouraged now. Can't wait to go out and face the world. The boring, cyclical world, you know? And, and, and have you noticed that he starts talking about here about there's, there's not anything new? There's not anything new. Look at verse 9. What, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new. What does he say? Under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. We often think we're so smart and we're so clever. I've got the new angle. You know, we're, we're all excited because, uh, you know, we've come up with something new. And, and Solomon's saying, you, you didn't come up with anything new. You didn't come up with anything new. All the ideas are, are all under the sun are already done. That's, that's why we don't have new fashion anymore. You can't, you, you can't have new fashion. It's funny how stuff goes out and how it comes back in. Whenever I was a kid growing up in the 80s there, you know what was really cool? Topsiders. Do you all remember those? They were gone. They've been gone for a long time. Do you know what our kids are wearing today? Topsiders. I can't. Well, I held on to my parachute pants, and I'm trusting those babies are coming back in. They could be a little tight, and that could be a little scary, but, but everything comes back in. It runs in cycles. If you go to the movies, have you noticed all the new movies? What are they? They're remakes. Nothing's new. You can't have a new karate kid. I talked about it last week. You don't mess with Miyagi, okay? You don't do that. Smurfs? I'm like, Smurfs? Was that really worth bringing back? Okay? I mean, it's just... But we, we, we think that we've got it, that we're the new thing, you know, whatever. Or we start thinking, I'm so very important. I'm going to be the history maker or whatever. People are going to remember. There are going to be movements because of me. Look at what he says in verse 11. Last verse today, he says, no one remembers the former generations. Right? And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. He says, you know what? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Life is going to run its course. Some of us, we're going to run that course and we're not even going to know why we're here. He says, you, you, you know what this is? This is life on earth under the sun. It's meaningless. It's short. It's fleeting. There's not any new ideas. Everything's been tried. Everything has been done. Everybody's thought they were going to change the world. We, we, we don't remember those guys. I mean, we, we didn't listen in history and see how history repeats itself over and over. And so here you go. There's your scripture for the day. And I know you're thinking, dude, this is so depressing. I'm out for the coming weeks. Pastor Bart, preach on a bunny. Pre preach on something like that. Make me laugh. But you know what we really need to talk about is we need to talk about realities of life. And we need to stop pretending and we need to deal with life as it really is. We need to talk about life apart from a relationship with God under the sun. Because you know what I'm finding? Life is too short to pretend anymore. I dropped my kid off to high school this week. You want to talk about freaking me out? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, man, you're still so young. You know, I, I, I just I realized life is so short and this is so depressing. But here's what I want to say. It is depressing from that perspective. It is meaningless from this perspective that Solomon is coming from. 
It's like, why do we have to talk about this? Because I talk to so many people as a pastor who I regularly hear and know that Christian values have been poured into their lives. Christian values and principles that have been taught on hope and faith and love and peace and joy. And and they know these thoughts. And I know these thoughts and these principles. And and, and a lot of times, you know, as, 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 as I talk to folks as a pastor and I see where people are in their lives and they're... It's like we relate more to Solomon than we do to this Christian mindset that we talk about in living in faith and hope and love and peace. I talk to Christ's followers regularly and say, man, I can't figure out why I just feel empty. Why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. Why I'm feeling so numb to life. It's the same old, same old. We could have written this book. Someone told me, it's kind of like I'm living like this glorified hamster on this wheel, just going over and over again in the same, I'm not making any progress. Here's the deal, and I know this, and I'm so glad that you've heard the context of this today, is that we have to be very, very careful with this book. And as a pastor, I have to be very careful with this book in the Bible and explain it. Because if you don't understand some context about this book, it can send you into a tailspin of depression. If you don't get where he's coming from and what brought this man to this point of desperation, it's as if Solomon is saying, man, I have been there and I have done that. I mean, just think about how he understood how all generations kind of go through the same thing. It's thinking this week about this. Every generation kind of has their poster child of people chasing life under the sun. Some generations represented this morning, you had Marilyn Monroe and, and Elvis Presley. Generation right after that, you had guys like Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin chasing life under the sun, trying to fill their life with this. My generation, we had Kurt Cobain. And we, and we had Michael Jackson, okay, the king. And you didn't know I could do that, but we had this guy. And here, here's the thing. Generation coming behind my generation, we've seen just even recently people like Heath Ledger. Even within the last month, you all know, if you know anything about Amy Winehouse. I look at that and I think, man, one more. One more that... That, that was the poster child for has everything that the world could possibly offer, and then you look at the end of their lives, and what did their lives personify? Hopelessness. It's like, man, under the sun, apart from a relationship with God, Solomon shows us, even though his own tra- through his own tragic life, that this is not a new condition. It's been going on for years. Solomon, through his transparency and through his own failed pursuits in life, does us this great service. And in this book, he's going to show us all of these ways that we try to fill our lives up, and we're thinking that's going to be it. And it never is. He talks about money and power and, and relationships and wealth and, and spiritualism and religion and fulfillment through my job. If I just get this job, then I'll be somebody. And he talks about all of this. He says, man, I went for them with unabated gusto and it is meaningless and I still felt empty. This human condition, this curse of sin... I don't want you to leave depressed today because I want you to hear this as we close. Here's what I want you to hear. It's interesting that 900 some years later after Solomon, Jesus comes. Jesus comes and here's the beauty. Here's the good news. Under the sun, no hope. Under the sun, curse of sin. Under the sun, emptiness, meaninglessness. Then who comes? God in the flesh comes. And and He's come to redeem us from this curse. To break this curse that is over us. And, and, And what's great is that He is not under the sun. He is over all creation. And you'll find in Matthew, Jesus says, Now one who is greater than Solomon is here. That's what he says. One who is greater than Solomon is here. Here's his point. Solomon knew the problem with sin and the curse and all of this. And even though he had all of this wisdom, he still couldn't fix it. Because his own heart was wretched and filled with sin and and he couldn't straighten it out. 
But Jesus could, and Jesus did. Jesus was the only one who could bring redemption from this curse. He was the only one that could bring reconciliation between the creation which is is cursed and the Creator. He's the only one through God's grace who could do this. Jesus is the only one. He didn't come to give us more information. He came to, to bring transformation in our lives. He came to give us meaning in our lives and give us purpose in our lives. And, and He came perfect and sinless. And we were so crooked and depraved. What did we do when He came? We killed Him. And we hung Him on a cross. And the Bible tells us this, that something miraculous happened when he was on the cross. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God and the curse could be lifted. And you have meaning again. Not under the sun. Jesus comes and He begins this great reclamation project connecting everything back to the Father, uh, righting all the the wrongs that Adam and Solomon and you and I have done, this reconciliation between Creator and creation again. And, and, And today what we have is we have this great depression and it has nothing to do with our money. It's a poverty of soul. One guy put it this way. He said, our hands are filled but our hearts are empty. Another commentator said, he said, every one of us walks around on the earth with a can of peaches and Jesus is the only one with the can opener. He's the only one. So you've got to know why you're here. And that is, uh, you are made for this relationship with God. And when you're not living in relationship with God and you're only living under the sun, it's futile. There's futility. You'll find that this is why Jesus came and He said things like this. If you don't understand this, you'll see Jesus said things like this. If you want to live your life or gain your life, what do you need to do? You need to lose your life. Now, people hear that and they they think, I I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense. When you start understanding this, it starts making sense. Why did Jesus say things like this? I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. A meaningful life. The thief, he's come to steal steal and kill and to destroy. So what happens is when you you carry on this relationship with God, what, what happens is your expectations for finding fulfillment in life, they kind of begin to diminish. Finding these things through other, this fulfillment through other things. You find that life doesn't need to be perfect. You find that Jesus is the one who has your future in his hands. And, and this redemption is still ongoing. You find that you have hope because you will have a resurrected new body. One day things will be made do new. One day you will be made perfect because Jesus is still saving you. But in the meantime, and this is the whole point of Ecclesiastes, when you carry on this relationship with God, you can eat and you can drink and be happy with that and and work and laugh and play and die and not take ourselves so dang seriously. Seriously. It's at that point in Ecclesiastes, he's saying, you can be rich, you can be... You'll see when we get through this book, he says it in the end of the chapter, you can be smart, you can have all of these things, but you will never be satisfied without him. You may have stuff, but you'll not have satisfaction. See, the the, the beauty of this book is that we don't need all of this stuff. What we really need is we need to be repentant and we need to be loved. This is a book of repentance, is what it is in Solomon's life. Here's it. Here's, here it is right here. Solomon is saying, take my word. I've gone before you. There's nothing here under the sun. Stop running from God. Go back to Him. That's what he's saying. And you're loved. And Jesus died for you. And He's paid for your sin. And today, I invite you to Him. Let's pray. God, this book is so challenging to us. And it is my prayer this morning, Lord, that every person who has heard your word today would examine their lives. We're going to look more specifically in the coming weeks, Lord, at the things that you bring up.
through Solomon in the ways that, that he pursued fulfillment and meaning in his life. We'll look at those things like how we try to find it in money and power and if we can just get this relationship. We see his relationships were never enough. He needed one more wife. He needed another project. He needed more money. Lord, what I pray for is that we would really, really, honestly look at our lives. What are we trying to find fulfillment in? And that you would show us that if it's anything apart from you, under the sun, it's meaningless. But that you came to give us a meaningful life through Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can call upon Him right now to be your Savior. Call upon Him. Believe on Him in faith. Say, Lord, I trust You. I want You. Save me, Jesus. I believe You paid for my sin. You died for me. I want a meaningful life in You. This morning, if that's You, and You say, Pastor Bart, would You just pray for me? I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Would You just lift Your hands this morning and say, That's me. I'm trusting Him as my Savior. Praise the Lord. I see your hand. Are there others? I'm calling upon. Some of you, you're Christians, and you've been, trying to, you've been trying to find your fulfillment in everything else. And Solomon's saying, man, stop it. Go back to Him. Find your peace and your rest in Him. You'd say, Pastor Bart, would you just pray for me? That's me. I, I, I do know the Lord, but man, I so often get off track. I'm off track. Would you just pray for me? Is that you this morning? Would you just lift your hands? I want to pray for you today. Thank you. Thank you for your hands being lifted. Lord, give these who have lifted their hands your wisdom. Thank you for the honesty of this book. It's going to be a great series, Lord, because of you. In Jesus' name, amen.